In this episode of Social Media Secrets, we are going to talk about why copying other people's content strategies is actually hurting your brand. That's right, you heard it here. So I just talked about this a little bit in the internship I'm hosting for TikTok, and it's been a really, really awesome process. We'll, we're not going to host anymore in 2022, but in 2023, we'll probably do one or two different internships, and so far it's been a fantastic experience. But I wanted to share something really big because a lot of times when people come to me or come to the freelancers that I work with, they want a specific thing. They'll look at this person's content and say, I want you to copy that. Or they'll look at another person's emails and say, I want you to copy that. Or they'll look at someone's YouTube channel that's absolutely thriving and say, make mine look just like that. And I wanna talk about why that's actually not necessarily true and why it can actually be harmful for a brand and also why you'll never get the growth that you're looking for simply by copying someone else, all right? So the first thing I wanna share is that any of us can imitate or copy. I think it can be actually a really great way to learn and to try things and to grow, at least at first. But what's difficult when we try to copy someone's, truthfully, someone's results by emulating their, the, the, the way that their videos look, their setup behind them, their exact words at times. Uh, what happens is we're missing a lot. And I'll talk about that in just a moment, but I've noticed that many times when I talk about content modeling, um, a lot of people get kind of confused. Now, this is not the same thing as like taking a trend on TikTok and making it your own. That's totally different. You can get inspired by content and content model, but you've got to make it your own and understand that it may not work the same way as the person that you're modeling or at times for some people, the person whose content you're copying. And part of the reason why is because there are some things you're missing when you're just copying the external things like the copy or the funnel or the offer. You're missing a few key ingredients. And I started kind of making a list about of those. And what's interesting is when clients bring this to you, what they're actually usually saying, and I kind of like to see this as like the black swan, it reveals what they actually want according to the book Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Fantastic book. And in that book, he breaks down that You've got to find out what people are actually wanting. A lot of times people will say like, oh, I really, really want um, to have really polished professional videos with a fantastic set and I want to pump them out five days a week. And a really great way to identify what someone actually wants is why. Simply asking them why. Why do you want videos that look this way? Why do you want the setup that looks this way? Why do you want to publish videos five times a week? And why is one of the single greatest identifiers of a black swan in conversations? Because it helps you to get deeper and understand someone's motivations or the reasons that they want what that person is doing. Now, almost all the time, it's going to come back to results. Almost 100% of the time, when clients are pointing at someone else's content and saying, can't you do it like this? What they're actually talking about is the results. Very rarely do they actually care as much about the branding or the specifics about how that person got their results. What they're saying is I really just want those kind of results. Now, this has been, the, what I'm about to share with you has been a very difficult realization for me to come to. I used to think every single person had the same potential to go 
wildly viral over and over and over again. And I've just learned that that's just not the case because everyone has a different voice, a different brand, a different audience that they want to reach, different types of topics or specialties that they focus on. Not everyone is meant to have the same reach as Oprah or else who would we all be reaching? And the reason I share that is because sometimes if we can get clear what results someone wants, we can actually tailor our strategies and our content creation plan according to what it is that they really want. Do they really want to be as famous as Marie Forleo or do they really just want to generate consistent leads? Do they really want a fancy studio that absolutely crushes it all the time like Think Media, and these are all fantastic people I'm using as examples, by the way. Do they really want that fancy studio that looks like Think Media or Daryl Eves, or do they want more reach on each and every video that they put out? So when you can dive into the why, you can kind of start to understand why it is that your clients are pushing to copy someone or model someone else. Now, there are other things underneath the results that oftentimes get missed when we're just focusing on copying. For example, we might be missing their entire strategy. Whew. We might be missing some of the hacks or experts that they brought in that we don't have access to. We might be missing the sacrifices that they made to get their channel to that place. We just don't know. Were they running on two hours of sleep every single night making sure they got a video out? We don't know. And we also don't know their ad spend. Now this is a big one and I'm gonna talk about this more in just a moment because sometimes ad spend can actually trick even some of the greatest marketers. We'll come right back to that. But there's one more point I really want to touch on, and that is <gasps> lies. I recently heard someone talking about how they were crushing it on TikTok, and, and the way that they broke it down, they made it sound as though they just had one little contractor helping them with their TikTok. But I happen to know that one little contractor. It's an entire agency team. So whether it is on purpose or most likely accidentally, this person isn't fully representing what goes into creating their content. And so when we don't have the full picture and we never have the full picture, it is very, very difficult for us to emulate exactly what they've created. We don't know their strategy, their hacks, the sacrifices, the ad spend, or even where they haven't told us the full truth. Um, for example, Sometimes people ask why, like, it's very easy for me to just hop on a stage or hop on camera. And if I don't share with you that it's something I've known since I was a little kid because my parents were um, pastors and leaders in our church, from a very young age, I was on stages whether I wanted to or not. That right there is a built-in advantage. And by not sharing it, there's a part of the truth that's left out a little bit. So is it gonna be a little more challenging for someone else to hop on video or on a stage? Possibly. I can still share what helped me, but if you don't realize that I grew up on stages in front of audiences and that that's a part of like my programming, you're gonna sometimes ask yourself, why is it so easy for Rachel to hop on a stage and she can just like spit out whatever, right? <laughs> on the stage. Hopefully spit out value and gold, but at the same time, you catch my drift. Now, the reason that I bring up specifically ad spend is because I have a really important topic uh, that we'll talk about after I share uh, how this can actually hurt brands, okay? So this is a really simple explanation. Now, I don't come from a marketing pedigree background. I didn't have years in corporate. Um, I didn't have... Um, 
it, I didn't have tons of agency experience. I had just a couple months of agency experience. If, if we want to call the agency I worked for like an agency, it was more like just lead gen by sending millions of emails every single day, cold mass, uh, cold emails. It was rough. Um, I didn't have a degree and I had very little experience in marketing when I got in. So some of the things I've had to learn through experience. And this is one of my favorites that I've learned. So essentially there are, ready for this, 12 brand archetypes and each and every brand falls into a variation of this. Now there are, to be fair, there are probably about three variations on each of the 12 brand archetypes. Um, to nerd out just a little bit, the brand archetypes uh, kind of come from the life archetypes a la Carl, I think it's Carl Jung. Um, it's J-U-N-G. And Carl Jung, I've read a couple of his books. They're super difficult reads. I'm a fan, though. And he really breaks down these different archetypes that most brands and people can either fall into or fall into a subcategory of. So I'm going to share what they are and then share some examples and explain why copying someone else's content strategy or editing style or writing style may actually not work for you, okay? So the 12, ex uh, the 12 archetypes are the innocent, the everyman or every woman, the hero, the rebel, or sometimes we say the outlaw, the explorer, the creator, the ruler, the magician, the lover, the caregiver, the jester, and the sage. Now, I could dive deep. I think actually let's go for this real fast. I'm going to share examples of the brand archetypes, and these come from Brands by Yovo. So they've compiled examples of brands that fall into each and every one of these archetypes. Sorry that we're going so nerdy on this, but this is a really cool topic. And if I had understood this uh, a lot sooner, I think that marketing would have come even faster to me. Okay, so examples of the innocent. Nintendo Wii, Dove. The everyman or every woman, brands like Ikea, Home Depot, eBay. The hero is represented by brands like Nike, BMW, Duracell. The rebel is explained or uh, really well exemplified by brands like Virgin Airlines, Harley Davidson, and Diesel Jeans. The explorer is exemplified by brands like Jeep, Red Bull, REI. The creator is exemplified by brands like Lego, Crayola, Adobe. Isn't that one really fun? The ruler is exemplified by Mercedes-Benz, Microsoft, British Airways. The magician is represented by brands like Apple, Disney, and Absolute Vodka. The lover is exemplified by Victoria's Secret, Chanel, Haagen-Dazs. The caregiver is exemplified by Johnson & Johnson, Campbell's Soup, mm -mm, good, UNICEF. The jester is uh, exemplified by Old Spice, Ben & Jerry's, M&M's, and definitely any brands that are represented by the Harmon Brothers. And the sage is represented by brands like Google, PBS, and Philips. Now here's what's so wild and why it's so important that we know, not only for ourselves, but for our clients as well, which brand archetype most closely represents them. Now, in case you're like, well, it's not just one, that's okay. Most brands have between one and three brand archetypes. One is their primary and two is their secondary and tertiary. I can't say that word, but <laughs> tertiary is something like that. If you just say it really fast, no one knows you're not pronouncing it correctly. Most brands have a couple of these uh, brand archetypes that support their message. 
But here's the thing that you need to know. If you don't know what your client's brand archetype is, you can't look at another person's content style and ask yourself, can we create the same thing without creating a mega dissonance, meaning people sense that it's not authentic. People sense that it's outside of them. And I see this happen a lot. For example, if someone's not funny, but they're really trying hard to be funny, they're trying so hard to be the jester and it's just kind of always falling flat, there's a good chance that there's a different brand archetype that's going to be a better primary archetype for them. So if someone's brand is just not that funny and they're continually trying to create create gesture style content, it's probably going to fall flat. Now that that in and of itself can be a whole strategy, but I digress. Um, sometimes I think we all feel like all of the brand archetypes at times. And truth be told, I'd love to be the hero or the rebel, but that's not my primary driver. So for example, my primary brand archetype is the every woman, just plain and simple. It's the every woman. And so when I try to make things way too fancy and way too polished and way too professional, it creates a disconnect because that's not who I am. Similarly, when we try to copy someone's content style, we may be missing the fact that they are a rebel and we are a hero. And while those two are the same, uh, two different sides of the same coin, you might completely piss people off with your messaging. Now, I learned this one the hard way. I tried to copy some of the content or rather content models, some of the content from someone who is very, very, very clearly the rebel, the outlaw. Like their goal is to outrage and and, uh, say things that are so controversial that people are going to comment and leave stuff. And I actually created a few videos this way. And let me just tell you, the month where I did that, I pissed off so many people and I'm not proud of it. I'm glad that I tested it out because I very quickly learned that not every type of content works for every single brand. You have to recognize, is this going to resonate with our audience knowing that this is what our brand archetype is or not? And the truth be told, not every single brand is gonna crush it with a Harman style video. So this was an absolute game changer for me. But the last point I wanna bring up is about ad spend. So I was meeting with one of my clients and we were talking about some of their competitors and how their competitors' social media content was performing. Now here's the thing about ad spend, it is not always obvious or visible or able to be detected easily. The only platform it's fairly easy to see on is Facebook. But that being said, you can't see what ads were run previously if they're not currently running. And so what's interesting about ad spend, and I'll share two stories related to this because this is pretty important to know. Um, What's interesting about ad spend is the only way we can ever know someone's ad spend is if they straight up tell us. And most people don't reveal, oh, I spent you know $100 to make that post hit. I spent $20,000 on that campaign to get those results that I got. Very few people reveal their actual ad spend. And so we're missing a huge part of the puzzle when we're comparing our 100% organic content to uh, someone who has ad spend behind it. Side note, ad spend, to get engagement and and traffic and social proof is not the same thing as buying fake likes. One is persuasion, but it's not forcing people to engage. One is basically getting bot accounts that have no choice and there's a guarantee for how many people are gonna engage, two very different things. Now, I was at a mastermind and 
before I share the client story, I was at a mastermind and someone on stage was in the middle of a sentence and I knew her numbers and she was about to share that she spends between 100,000 and 200,000 every single month on ads. And she was mid-sentence because she hits multiple seven-figure months pretty much every single month. She was mid-sentence and someone asked her a question so she only got the beginning part of her sentence out before she got distracted. So the only thing that showed up for the audience, the only thing that they heard was, we spend $25,000 per month on ads. And people were like, how do we get those kind of results? She barely spends anything on ads to make multiple millions every single month. And me knowing the whole story and the whole picture, I saw as she got distracted, so they weren't getting the full picture of how much she spends in ads to actually make that strategy work. Now, she was not trying to deceive anyone. She literally just got distracted mid-sentence. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be hard for all of the ad managers and ad strategists who try to run ads for the people in this room because they don't have the full picture of how much you have to spend in order to get those kind of results. But this is also illuminated because when I was meeting with my client and we were reviewing some of their competitors' work uh, and how much engagement it was getting, I kind of noticed something was a little bit off. And I will not say the name of anyone involved in this video, but I was like, wait a second, how is this company getting three to 5,000 engagements, like likes, on each post on Facebook, that's just not the norm right now. There are certain outliers, there are certain pages that just do that over and over, but I was like, this math isn't mathing for me. Something is up here. And so I dove into their page mid-presentation and found that they were actually running engagement ads in countries where the cost per engagement is super low. So case in point, for example, now this is not to say, some people will talk about this in a really disrespectful way. I just wanna be super clear. What I'm re referencing is countries where the cost per engagement is low, not where the people are cheap, okay? Different thing. So what's interesting is I noticed that every single one of these posts that had high engagement, all of that engagement was from countries with a low cost per engagement, at least from Facebook ads, including uh, India. I noticed um, Pakistan, I saw Nigeria, I also saw the Philippines. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially since many of those companies do serve people in those countries, but it's just something you need to take into consideration. Did they spend money in low cost per engagement countries before this reached uh, the masses? There are so many different things we need to keep in mind. So I recognize that anytime that their content was absolutely popping, they were spending money to get low cost engagements on that content so that it would appear or the perception would be that every single organic post that they were sharing was absolutely crushing it. So unless you know absolutely all of that, you cannot look at someone else's content and compare yours or your client's results to it. And this can actually be a really good podcast to share with your clients or your freelancers or your team so that they understand there are multiple components behind just content modeling. While you can get ideas and you can get inspiration and you can learn a lot, not everything you see from someone on the outside is a perfect reflection or explanation for what's happening internally for that company and that content strategy. I hope this episode has served you. By the way, we have a couple of powerful openings inside of The Social Click, which is my mentorship and mastermind program for freelancers who want to grow and scale their business the right way. 
If you want to apply, head to clickforlife.com. That's C-L-I-Q-U-E-F-O-R-L-I-F-E.com. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Bye for now.